0: The Lord be with you, and let's find the word of the Lord for tonight in Philippians in chapter 2. I would like to read a lot, but it's, I think it'd be better if you read the first um, 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2 where it describes who Jesus is, that he became man and then being obedient even unto death, death on a cross. And the Father has highly exalted him, given him the name above every name. And then in verse 12, he says, so then, and when one would say that, he's saying, in the light of that, having taken that in, so then, Just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That that is one of the key verses to living this Christian life. And it doesn't matter how many decades that I preach this message, this is the question that comes back again and again. How do we live the Christian life? How does it work out? Well, of all the verses I might choose in the New Testament, this is one, I say again, that is the most arresting. It is the most insightful. Let me read it again. That we... "...work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." And there you have it. The, the working out of salvation in, what shall I say, the ordinary and the mundane, and the everyday... We, we often emphasize that Paul wrote these letters, or John or Peter, and in our minds we put them up there on a pedestal as some saintly persons beyond the reach of the ordinary chap. But the fact is, although they wrote them, and of course I don't see them as just saints on a pedestal, they were very ordinary people. But the point I want to make is they wrote to very ordinary people. The people who gathered together in the city of Philippi and they were the Christians, but when they dispersed they went to their offices, they worked in their factories, they worked in the fields outside of the city, They went to school, they were husbands and wives, they were mothers, they were children. You get my point. The people who first read this, the people that the Holy Spirit first addressed these words to, were exactly the same as you and I. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Let's take it apart. Let's... Uh, Filet this and see what meat there is for the spirit. First of all, he said, Work it out. Now, this expression is a, a very good expression of all the ones he might have said. This one, it is actually a farmer's word, or you'll find it on the ranches, work out. It's it's a word which was used in those days, describing the bringing of seed to harvest, or the bringing of a newborn sheep or a newborn calf to full sheephood, or it a cow or whatever. It, it was it was that art of working out the harvest however that harvest was viewed. And and so here you are the one who plants the seed and then you watch over it and you bring it to harvest where you have now the seed multiplied a thousand times over. That's the word. You work it out. You bring it from seed to full maturity. That's the meaning of the word. And right from the very first pages of the Bible, you get this idea, I suppose, of all the images that are used in the Scripture. Sheep and Shepherd are the most used. But hard on the heels of that is the idea of seed, and growth, and then the harvest. That's, again, all the way through Scripture. And right at the beginning of the Scripture, well, what do you have? Maybe you've never really looked at this. Uh, God created the entire earth. But then He did something, and uh, I say this is often overlooked. It says, God, God planted a garden. And that uh, word, the garden that He called Eden, the garden of paradise, um, the most blissful place you could ever imagine, but it was a garden in that it had boundaries it had gates, and and, and so the idea was, God is planting the garden, he is the original gardener, and then it says, he, he placed Adam into the garden There's almost a suggestion, if you read Genesis 2 carefully, that Adam sat and watched God as God planted the garden and made it the most wondrous place that the human mind could imagine, filled it with fruit trees of every kind. God planted the garden. Then he put Adam into that garden. That's the first home that is mentioned in the scripture. And having put him in the garden, it says he, Adam, must now keep the garden and tend it. Did you get what I said? God planted the garden, but now Adam has to work the garden and to do so with a watchful eye. We talked about that the other day, because the word keep, to keep the garden, he meant guard it, to watch over it, and to do so as one would watch over a precious gift, as one would watch over something of enormous importance that has been entrusted to you. Keep it. Guard it with your life. God put Adam there and he said, I've done the planting, now you keep the garden. Watch over it. Watch against uh, the, the subtleties of evil that would attempt to come in and tend it. That is, make make sure that all the paths remain the paths and they're not overgrown. Watch over it. Uh, Prune the trees. Make sure they're producing all the fruit and so on. That's what is being said here. Who has made you a member of the family of God? God the Father. He's the one who did it, and he did it through Jesus Christ. And in the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, you have been included into the family of God. And that seed, if I could say that, that seed of precious gift, that that seed of the life of God, that has been implanted into you has now got to be worked out. So, I I can't achieve the seed. The seed is beyond any human doing. The seed is the life of God Himself brought into humanity, you and I, by Jesus. But now, he says, work it out. Bring that seed of divine human life that came to you through Jesus. Bring it to its fullest potential. And that potential reaches on to the ages of ages. But but, bring it to its fullest beauty. Bring it to the, the magnificence from whence it came, it came from the very life of the Holy Trinity. Now through Jesus put inside of you, bring it to its fullest strength. Let, 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 bring it to a harvest of potential. Bring it to the beauty that God is. You, you get the picture? Work it out. You're the farmer. Work it out. And what would you call that seed that he planted within us? What is it that we're working out? Well, one phrase that is um, certainly in the uh, writings of John is eternal life. Eternal life. And in John seventeen three, that's defined... Eternal life, as I've said so often, is not merely you're going to live forever, because that could be terribly boring. But well, he, he calls it not a quantity of life, but a quality of life. He says well, in John 17, 3, eternal life is to know the Father and his Son Jesus and the expression no is is the word used of the intimacy of marriage it, it is coming together where two become one where you are united with God the father in his love for you that's eternal life its quality of life it changes all life it begins here and now and, and develops yeah that that's that's the potential And that's the seed planted. But here in this verse is another expression. Of course it comes down to the same thing. But but it says, we work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Then at the end of the next sentence, he talks about it to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so eternal life... This working out of salvation is working out, bringing to full harvest, full potential, his good pleasure. The good pleasure of God. Have you ever thought about that? The good pleasure of God. I mean, it's quite... Roll that around your tongue. Good pleasure... That, that that here is and when the Bible puts the word good in there, it is it, pushing it to the extreme, to the full. You know, it speaks of courage, and then in the Old Testament it speaks of good courage. It, it means push it to the extreme. Here is the pleasure, the delight, the joy, the rejoicing of God the Father, to the extreme. And it says, we are to work that out. And it speaks of it as being in us. Then what is this delight, this good pleasure of the Father? It is the unbegun, unending intention of His love. God is love. And it is His pleasure to be who He is. And to ever be reaching out in love. And the part that we know about is that God so loved us, so loved you, and that love, that good pleasure, that delight that He has in the act of loving became flesh. This love, the good pleasure love, became flesh in Jesus so that it would never again be just doctrine. It would never be something that scholastic spoke of. Love became flesh, person, God from God and dwelt among us. And that's why those first 11 verses of Philippians is speaking of that incarnation, that wonder of God becoming one of us and joining us, totality, so standing shoulder to shoulder with us as human, now as human, out from His divine human, He obeys His Father carries us to the cross and so on it's that that's what it's all about he, Jesus is the good pleasure of the Father now I find it fascinating especially for what we're talking about here you know that for 30 plus years no one knew of Jesus I mean there were no mighty works there. There was nothing that in our 21st century Christian vocabulary would call ministry. You understand? He was a a boy growing up and we know just a few hours of that when he went to the temple in Jerusalem. He was a teenager And a teenager in that culture would start working at around 13, 14 at the most. And he worked apprentice to his supposed father, Joseph. And then he became the carpenter of Nazareth. I mean, that's it. An unknown peasant in the hill country of the Galilee totally unknown, except to his fellow neighbor peasants, and they certainly didn't see anything unusual about him. Because later, when he announced himself essentially as the Messiah, they were so offended. They said, who does he think he is? He's just the carpenter. We've lived with him for the last 30 years. If anyone knows, we should know. So he was very, very ordinary. I mean, he did his work every day, working with the wood, going out to the farms and measuring and putting in doors and gates and fences, the carpenter. And and when he comes home, it's very ordinary to to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, go to bed, you know, go to the well and get the water, and ordinary And he had been to school, I mean, can you imagine being one of the schoolmates of Jesus? But they didn't know who he was. At the end of that most ordinary period, so ordinary, there was nothing to write. And so we start the life of Jesus in terms of the writing and the history when he was around 30. But the 30 years prior to that was so ordinary there was nothing to write. And God the Father looked at that ordinary, go to work, slug away at the work, cut the trees, make the fences, put in the doors, put on the roofs, come home, wash and eat and go to bed, the ordinary. God the Father, when Jesus was about 30 years old, God the Father summed up those last 30 years and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased in whom is my good pleasure. Do you hear what I just said? The good pleasure, the love of God in the earth was in that ordinary, in eating cereal in the morning, in barbecue at night, and going to a wedding, and weeping at a funeral, and that Monday an existence so ordinary nothing to write but the Father marked that as His good pleasure being manifest on the earth as His love in Jesus being simply given given here and given there the love of the Father in Jesus being imprinted upon the village life of Nazareth not spectacular no miracles no lights flashing just yes an unusual peasant the only thing you could say about him was he loved and the Father said, there's my good pleasure in the earth. Here it is. Now, at the beginning of this Philippians 2 chapter, it says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. For he has placed, in our union with Jesus, he's placed the good pleasure of his love inside of us inside of you Oh, do you know who you are or oh, do you know who you are by the love of God his grace and all through Jesus do you know what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you that the good pleasure of God that was first seen on the planet in Jesus now through that Jesus is inside of you. That's what a statement. What a statement. This is. Don't don't you see? I people, they they bound up. They want to know the will of God. What's the will of God? What's the will of God for me? Why? Why do? What's this obsession with the will of God? Because if you talk to them they always think God's going to send them off here and give them some secret order mission there. Why? Is it it because you're so jolly bored with where you are? and, And you think the will of God must be some exciting adventure and off we go here and off we go there? No. Jesus demonstrated the will of the Father was just to revel in His love and give that love away while you're making fences and tilling the ground and drawing water from the well and just doing your ordinary stuff in a third world village where only a handful of neighbors know your name. That's the will of God. Jesus, you see, is our pattern, pattern, Um, and when I see Jesus there, that's the pattern uh, of who we are, we are, that's what the scripture says, you know, it says that the grand goal of all of this is that you and I should be conformed to the image of Jesus the Son of God. But in First John chapter two, I think it's one of the most amazing texts in the Bible, hardly ever read, but it, it, it sits there and it says, and it says it in passing. It's not sort of the main thrust of things. He just says it. It's speaking of Jesus, for it says, as he, Jesus, is the ascended Lord. As He is, so are we in this world. That's too big for my mouth. I don't know what to say about that, except to say it. As Jesus is, so are we. He, he He's the pattern And the pattern is being worked out in us now. So that as he is, so are we in this world as we go about our daily stuff. Now, when I say the word pattern, um, do do not understand that as a, a dead expression. You know, I don't know if any of you would still... Make your own clothes. I was raised with that. There was on the table. There was always these patterns that my mother and grandmother had cut out, and then they were laying the cloth on it and cutting the cloth to the pattern and making clothes because we couldn't afford to buy them. And but that's not what I mean. If if that's sort of Jesus, we're going to do a cut out to him that makes it a very dead, dead thing Jesus is not our ideal no. oh yes, you know, I want, I want to be like Jesus yeah. what would Jesus do? no, 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 that's not the pattern if you think that, no, that's not it no, Jesus is not our example because that places him up there removed from us and we've got to try and make our life like his and that doesn't work you should know that by now. Jesus is not merely um, the superhero of the Christian faith. No. What do I mean by pattern? I suppose really I mean pattern in terms of your DNA your DNA is a pattern of your whole life and, and uh, you, you grow into it and your DNA is sending off triggers of, of what you become. You know, um, When I was around 12, 13 I, I did not sit in my bedroom just saying over and over again you've got to grow a beard, you've got to grow a beard, you've got to grow a beard. Actually, I didn't think much about it at the time, but in, in that inner pattern of my humanness and my specific DNA Malcolm humanness, suddenly it was triggered. My my body was given directions to grow beard, and, and I looked in the mirror and began to realize it was coming. Um, it, the DNA pattern is living within us and, and, and it's drawing us into itself. Well, if you can handle this, Jesus is that living pattern. He is the DNA of you and I now. That's what we mean by born again. The Holy Spirit is actually within us and He's reproducing in us the very life of Jesus. So, so that the uniqueness of Jesus is now being seen. What can I say? The life of Jesus is now within our uniqueness. So. You show Jesus. You represent Jesus in in a way no one else could because He comes through your uniqueness and He comes through my uniqueness. And He is the life of our life and He's the pattern of our life. And He is the one that we are growing into. See, the word sin... In many respects it's an unfortunate word, because the only time you'll ever really use the word is in a religious context, you know, you won't find it much used, shall we say in the grocery store, It's, um, it's, it's one of our words, you start using it when you become a Christian and that, that's why it's unfortunate because it's never been updated we don't really know what the word means and I'm not going to give a whole hour on that but very quickly all have sinned says Romans 3.23 and fallen short of the glory of God fallen short um, sin actually the word I'll just speaking in a few minutes uh, the the word means to fall away from, fall short of the pattern. Um, and Mr. Mark, I miss the mark. I was created for this, yes, glory, where I, a creature, would be joined to the Creator, the, the Holy Trinity family, and that joining would be in and through Jesus. And we fell away from that. We lost the pattern. And, and the pattern that we picked up from the devil, of course, was a phony pattern. You, at the end of it all, it doesn't work. And at the end of it all, there's nothing there. You, you've, you're without form. You, you've lost the pattern. This is the pattern of existence that I'm speaking of. Jesus, not someone as an historical figure or a superhero to try and imitate, but Jesus, alive now, and He's in me through the Holy Spirit. And and He's the pattern of today, this hour, and all my futures. I'm being drawn into that life conformed. So as He is, so am I in this world. That's the good pleasure of God. Jesus is the pleasure, the good pleasure. And in the ordinariness and in the mundaneness and in sitting at your computer doing your work in the factory floor doing the job as you're in school studying and it's all so seemingly mundane until you realize it was this mundane, ordinary, that God Himself came into as one of us and there began to exhibit the love of God. And now He's in us, in our world. The world of relationships, the world of friendships, the world of marriage, the domestic world. The world of our co-workers, our co- and fellow students, the world of bosses, the world of employers, employees, the world of professors and teachers, look, the world. Why do I emphasize this? Because increasingly I find this, yes I'll use the word, it's a poison, this idea that to. Be anything to understand anything that the scripture is talking about. I have to be famous. I've got to have all these gifts, and we list the ones we know we want, and they're all those that demand spotlight, stage. We think of a successful church if they've got the right spotlights, if they've got the right PA system, if they've got the right orchestra and choir, and the pastor leaps on platforms like a Johnny Carson I, I'm i sorry because that sounds as if oh, I'm just saying that's phony no I'm not but I, what I'm saying is that 99.99% of believers live out a life in some little tiny circle doing what we might think of as meaningless mundane and ordinary yet it is there that God delights through Jesus Christ to live his life in you and in all the stuff that happens in such a ordinary situation that's where his love is seen that's why he said go into all the world go into all the world and proclaim this good news well you could put it go into your world and of course yes It's more than possible the Holy Spirit will send you off into the world where they've never heard the gospel. Yes, of course, that's possible. But for so many, 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 those of you who listen to my voice, you feel you're stuck where you're stuck. And here it is. There's got to be something more exciting, so I've got to find the will of God. This couldn't be the will of God. Oh, yes, it is. Will of God, clean out your refrigerator. Will of God, do your laundry. You see. Will of God, weed the garden. Because it's in that mundane that we're joined to the heart of the Holy Trinity. That's what God chose to do when he became one of us. So we go into, shall I say, our garden i come, the place where God has planted us. And there we work it out. Right there, in that place where where God put Adam, now where God has put you, for the present anyway, because uh, we have no idea where he might take us off. But where you are now, where you are now, in our world, your world, my world, that's where we work it out. We bring to harvest this good pleasure. Good pleasure. And you become part of this eternal God love, incredible love right there in the ordinary mundane place that you find yourself in. You have no idea where you fit in the great purpose of things. Let me, there's a, there's a story in the Old Testament. There were two women and they are going through blazing hot rock and sand. And they're, they're on a mission. One is going back home and the other is determined to become what? A refugee in the place this other one calls home. And they finally come to the home. The home was called Bethlehem. The one was called Naomi. She had gone to Moab and there she'd lost everything. Husband, children And this other one is a Moabite, not exactly welcome in the land of Israel or Bethlehem, but she's determined to be there. because she was married to one of the sons who died. And I said they lost everything, they came back penniless. Naomi and Ruth. Ruth goes out into the fields because they didn't hand out food stamps in those days. They gave you permission to go into someone else's field and pick up what was left over if you couldn't work. And obviously these, this couple of women were so dirt poor, she goes out and, and takes that place behind the reapers to pick up what was left. I mean that that's a pretty mundane story. Basically a couple of refugees coming into a crossroads in the middle of nowhere, and they have no hope of finances being provided and so she goes to work. Well not work, just go and pick up what's left over in the field. That mundane story, and and Naomi becomes quite depressed. In fact, she, in good Hebrew fashion, changed her name, at least briefly, um, to to match how she felt. She says, "Call me Mara." Mara means bitter. Oh yeah, the Dead Sea, bitter, full of salt. She said, my life, my life was turned into bitterness. I've lost everything. Now her daughter-in-law who insisted on coming along, best I can do is teach her the ways of welfare under the law of Moses. I mean, there's not much future here. Hardly anything to get excited about. I suppose it's time to answer some of those altar calls. Come and find the will of God, because obviously you're not in it. Well, Ruth ended up marrying Boaz. And they had a little baby. And they placed the little baby in Naomi's arms. Uh, grandchild, and she died a happy old woman. But would would they ever have dreamed that in about what, 40 years from there, that little chap, Naomi's grandchild, he that be great great grandchild was called Jesse and Jesse had a bunch of sons and one of them was a kid up on the hills doing nothing in particular except looking after sheep and fighting off mountain lions and bears just a kid around 11, 12 somewhere in there. You know, came home once every few days, sometimes once every few weeks, depending on the season. His name was David. And you know the rest of the story. And you know that through David came Jesus. Would you ever have dreamed it? as two refugee women climbing over the burning rocks and trying to find shade from the blazing desert sun as they came penniless and starving into Bethlehem. That was God was working in them to a harvest that they could never imagine. Can you get it? Your life is part of an enormous plan that stretches into the ages of ages of ages to a new heaven and a new earth. And right now, right now, you are actually working as part of that greater whole. As surely as Ruth when she crawled on her hands and knees to pick up whatever was left from the reapers. Could she ever believe that through her should come one who would save the world? You get my point? I hope you do. How do we work out this salvation? How do we go day after day within the ordinary of our lives and yet be conscious of working out something faster than ourselves? He says, for it is God who works in you. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, to will and to do of his good pleasure. Ah, now this word here, work, that's a different word in the original language. You work out your salvation, that means bring what God has given you to harvest. But how do you do that? Well, it says it's God who works in you. But this word, works... It means energy. It means the going forth of power. And it means the going forth of power to do something, to accomplish something, to arrive somewhere. That is, this is not just um, words, debate, listening to a lecture about things. This is not academic. But it is the power, the energy, the personal energy, the personal power to actually bring it to pass. God the Holy Spirit is ever within giving this life, this personal life energy to bring to pass within your world the good pleasure of God, His love flowing through you. He says that personal energy of God within you, this working of God is to will and to do. That God within you is there to will. That is, He is going within you to fan the flames of longing and desire to become who you already are in Christ, that the good pleasure of God may be made manifest in you and through you. He slips his wants. See, he never forces you. Anything that forces you, anything that is pushing, that the shove, that, that's Satan's work, even if he's got a religious name to it. The Holy Spirit never shoves you. The Holy Spirit never forces, never manipulates. The Holy Spirit shows you God's glorious future for you. And that comes out as a sort of longing and a, a wanting. And sometimes you don't realize, or I have no clue where the want came from, but it, but it's an insistent want. It's a drawing, like the current of a great river that draws you into it. He fuels desires within you, and then he fires them. Because our trouble, because of what many have been taught, say, well, that's just me. You know, those desires were there. That's just me. Well, who do you think it would be? How do you think the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you except through your desires, through your wants? His power, energy, strengthening your will. Of course that's the way it is. Longings for His purpose, longings... Creative longings of ways in which to communicate His love. One way of looking at the Lord's prayer is to realize that only those who are in Christ and the Spirit is in them only such can pray that prayer because anyone else would, would realize the hypocrisy of it. You know, to pray that prayer, I mean, I could go all the way down, but just specifically, to pray that prayer, one wants the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You, you understand? We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. We, we, we state it. This is our desire. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anyway, you see, you couldn't pray that unless you've had that new birth where there's a new DNA within you that desires and wants this love will of God to be done in the little, small world in which we live. Yeah, that, that's the way it is. We want that and now the Holy Spirit within us gently blows on that and fires it and makes the flames big and we and he puts the blinders on us so that we see in focus this is the way this is what he wants me to do. Even you see again that's not that you have the biggest church in America. That is more like that he puts in you to go and feed the poor. He puts in you to give yourself to Those that are in need express His love through you. Let let me emphasize, He he works in you to will and to do of this good pleasure. See, religious flesh, oh dear, (laughs) when they would try this, it's all sweat, isn't it? It's labor and you're weary and heavy laden as you try. How many altar calls have you answered making those idiotic promises to God that you're going to try harder? Religious flesh that says you've got to please God, you've got to please God, and it comes so harsh. And there's that crack of the religious whip over your head that says you must. You ought, you should, and even when we think we're doing it, then we're we're still restless. Is that nagging question? Have you done enough? Have you done? Did you read your Bible enough last week? Did Did you pray enough this week? There's no peace. There's no joy. This is slavery. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. Lord save us from that. No, this is He works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. The Holy Spirit within you gently, always gently fans our desires our longings our yearnings always throws light upon opportunities of expressing the love of God. And all always with peace and always with joy we are drawn into the energy field of the holy spirit and he puts us into situations where the love of god can flow through us yeah and of course to not only to will but to do is the older translations this translation puts again to work and he's right it's the same word the whole God works in you expends that energy within you to will and to work of his good pleasure There's a lot of this energy word here a lot of power word why because our life I come back to it. This is it. This is what the whole text is about. Our life is caught up in His life. And the results of that in our behavior is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we're back to working out the harvest. God at work in us produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So... Our life is caught up in His life. His life is lived through our life. Or as Paul says, I live yet no longer I, it's Christ who lives in me. Or again he says, for me to live is Christ. Or again I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to notice one thing. I've really said it but I want you to underline it as we draw to a close in this because uh, I've got time is going but he's speaking here in in the present tense and and stating it is so notice here uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you It is so. This life that I've been talking about is so. It is so. It is so. You see, God planted the Garden of Eden. Adam did not Adam was placed there and sat and looked around and said, well, this is now mine. He didn't buy it. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. All those words don't even come they, they they're not even to be considered. this was the gift of God this is the way it is. Do you realize the radical glory that would break over your life right now? if you could look at this and say it is so, it truly is so. in every situation that you will meet in the next 24 hours. It is so that God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is so. You don't have to struggle and try to make that so. It is so. It is so by sheer gift of grace. It is so because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and ascended. It is so because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Do you not know that your body is the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit? It is so. Oh, I know this is so... Could could it be simpler? Yet, this could change your life forever because how many persons that I have met over the years are trying to make this so. Look, you can't make this so. It has been made so by the act of God through Jesus. What is left for you is the same as left for Adam. Keep and tend the garden. Work out your salvation begin to realize the wonder of your weakness and your, the impossible of your ever reproducing the life of Jesus but to recognize He dwells in you He lives in you and therefore you work it out by let it be so you're facing persons in an unlovable situation Lord Jesus I can't and legalism religious prayer says struggle try you've got to make it you've got to do it you've got to love these people I can't the Lord Jesus Christ you dwell within me by the spirit and I choose your willing within me and I let your doing within me to love them I don't know which way to turn but you are my wisdom I trust you to Will and to do in me your wisdom and your guidance in this moment. I've lost my job. I don't know where I am in life. He knows where you are. And, and he's working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, which is expressed in the work of your hands. There's not an area of life where this isn't true. He is working. He is, he is. And so, how does that work out in practice? It means as I face the day, I do so, and sometimes I, I say this out loud, because my ears need to hear it. You know what I mean? Not only your, your mind, silently, but you say it, and you're tongue is the rudder of your body guiding you like a ship so you say it and you hear it and what you hear is then again reported to the brain but in uh, the sense that now it controls every cell in your body and I I, I approach the day and and I say this day in all the people that I meet, in all the events that shall come through this day, I give thanks to you, God the Father, through God the Son, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, that you are, you is, working in me and through me to bring about your good pleasure. And I might repeat that throughout the day as I face life as it unfolds and at the end of the day there are often I look back on the day and if I have any doubts at all I will say it in that event though I can't see how and that event I certainly can't see how but you were and you are working in me and in that event that involves me to will and to do of your good pleasure And as you get used to that, get used to the idea I live, yet not I, it's Christ in me. And as you recognize every day is the opportunity for Christ in you and you in Christ to live, get used to it. A little granddaughter, what is she now, just three years old, Julianne. She was up here the other day And we were in the office, sort of. She was playing, and Nancy was playing along with her, but Nancy had to leave for a few minutes, and so she just left, and Julianne didn't see her going. And then she realized Nancy wasn't there. And so she said, where is she? I said, she'll be back in a minute little Julianne looked at me and said well I guess then it's now just you and me (laughs) and I realized when it comes to life and working out this salvation it's just you and me just Jesus through his Holy Spirit in me and me in him and here's the day, Lord Jesus. I guess it's just you and me. For me to live is you. And for you to live is in me and through me. Well, I suppose there's a lot more I could say. But the time is gone. And So now, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you, work within you to will and do of his good pleasure, that your life might become a river of divine love into the world that you call your world. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.